Hey there, church. It's Pastor Ryan again, and coming to you live in your living room. I hope you're enjoying uh, just the messages through this series that we've been walking through. Uh, we've been going through a series called Under Pressure, and so we have been looking at all these different pressure-filled situations that God walks believers through, and how He works in their lives, and also how He gains glory through their lives. And uh, this morning is no exception. This morning we're going to be looking at uh, the story of Peter. And instead of just focusing on one, uh, one of the stories of Peter, we're actually going to kind of walk through uh, his life and look at four different sections of Scripture that tell about Peter's story. Um, but by way of beginning, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you that you are a God that's worthy to be praised. Uh, Father, I thank you that even in this uh, very tough season for so many, uh, as we're, we're kind of stuck at home and we're, we're a little bit isolated, uh, God, that you have created a way uh, through the internet and through uh, these videos and through YouTube to be able to communicate the gospel clearly. God, I pray that morning, this morning this, this message would just ring out, um, God, and that you would transform our lives through it, Lord, as your word is brought to life. Uh, God, only your spirit can do that, Lord. These words are dead on a page unless you breathe life into them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would move in power this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be looking at the story of Peter, um, but uh, it, the story of Peter that we're going to be focusing on is maybe not one that we want to focus on. Uh, this morning's title is, uh, You Failed, Now What? And so if you've ever studied the life of Peter, you know that Peter made a lot of mistakes. A lot of great things happened through the life of Peter, and Peter was faithful uh, even to die on a cross upside down at the end of his life. Uh, but there are a lot of failures along the way, and God doesn't hide those from us. Jesus doesn't hide us, those from us. The, the gospel writers don't hide those from that. Even Peter himself, uh, being the words behind the gospel of Mark, doesn't hide those from us. And so we're going to kind of look at Peter's failures, but my, my opening question would be, have you ever had a moment where you just blew it? Like you had an opportunity to just shine Jesus and, and to, to reflect him and the work that God's done in your heart, and, and man, you just, you just blew it. It. Uh, I had one of those, and so this is repentant time. Uh, last week, um, I had ordered an item at a big box store, and, and I actually uh, made a mistake and ordered the wrong one. There were two that were really close together, and the pictures were really similar. I just clicked on the wrong one, and I, I called up customer service on the phone and just said, hey, can we go ahead and, and cancel that and, and order the one I want? And they said, oh, it's already shipped, so uh, wait a day till it gets there, and, and then go ahead and take it back uh, to the store. And they use the ominous words, and I hope they, uh, they hit you the same way they do me, uh, but the ominous words of go to the customer service desk. Uh, I believe if you were in my house when I got the phone call, and, uh, you would probably uh, have, have heard uh, a scene from Star Wars where Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father and he's clinging, uh, clinging to a pole and he screams out, No! I, I felt like when I know that I've got to go back to the big box store in person to the customer service desk, it just is like, No, I hate that because you know you're going to wait there for a while generally. Uh, many times your problems actually don't get solved and, and you're kind of stuck. And so that's exactly what ended up happening. Like the, maybe that was a, a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I went, I went to the big box store, brought my item back. Uh, Molly was with me and, and uh, we go into the store and they give me a, a in-store gift card and say, you know, go pick out the item you want and, and bring that up and it'll be fine. And so we go and and sure enough, they don't have uh, the item that I needed to trade in for. And so I go up front and I say, well, why don't we just have you order it online? And, and here's the gift card. Go ahead and order it. 
And the response from them was, we can't use the gift card to reorder it uh, because it's for in-store use only. And I'm thinking, well, I'm actually standing in the store, uh, but you can't really order it. And so through a series of, uncircum uh, 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 a series of unfortunate events, uh, we just kind of had this discussion. Discussion may or may not have gotten a little bit stronger uh, as I kind of pleaded my case of I really want this item, I, I, I actually need this item, and, and let's go ahead and order it. And uh, it ended up reconciling, and, and everything ended up working out uh, after I just looked at them and said, I'm just going to back up. I'm going to walk away from the cart right now. And so I went and kind of cleared my head. And, and, and then the next day, the Lord provided an opportunity for them to actually, uh, us to talk about, uh, all right, how, to, how do we solve this problem? And so we solved it over the phone, and they, they sent out the gift card. But uh, isn't that just simply the nature of humans? I, I've got a plan, and, and my plan is the best plan. And so get on board with me, and we'll fix it, and we'll go ahead and do it. But you just, you got to do my plan. And yet, the nature of uh, God putting us in different circumstances that are pressure-filled is that we have to trust that God has actually got the narrative, that God has the plan, and, and my pride just needs to go to the side because I don't necessarily know how to solve all of my problems. I think there's a misnomer that we can get into, into the Christian faith and into following Jesus. We can falsely assume... Uh, we can falsely assume that this is what is mis the missing piece in life and that after we come to know Jesus, that it's clear sailing. Um, th that's just not the case. To, to be real, death happens. To be real, divorce happens. To be real, betrayal happens. To be real, pressure happens. And, and we kind of come to a point in our walk with Jesus where we realize and we have to come to terms with the fact that some of these things just weren't in the brochure when we started walking with Jesus. You know, we, we read through, here's what it's like to surrender to Jesus. We read through the stories of Jesus. And, and maybe we just skipped over some of those bumps in the road for his disciples and those followers uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, maybe we just skipped over some of those. Uh, but we have to come to a point where we have a crisis of belief in believing, am I going to trust God and trust him with my future and trust him with my pressure or am I going to sort of do my own thing? The great thing about the gospel is that it answers these questions for us. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, which if you don't have that verse underlined, if you've been going to our church for a while, you probably have that verse underlined. It's a real important one to our faith. Uh, but if you don't, and you've got your Bible or your neighbor sitting close to you, write it in there, underline it in their Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Here's what it says. Here's what the gospel does for the believer. It says, he, being the Lord, has perfected for all time all those who are being made holy. Let me read that again. He, being Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. In this verse, I would describe it in two different ways. Uh, number one, this verse is a promise. So if you're taking notes, that would be a good, this is just the opening, but it'll be a good note to take. Um, number one, uh, there's a promise in this verse. Uh, the promise is that you are perfected in the Father's eyes. That when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that God did a great exchange uh, between you and Jesus. Jesus took your sin. Uh, Jesus took your shame. Jesus took your pain. Jesus took the fact that you were hellbound, and he transferred his... Uh, um, perfect nature uh, in you, his perfect story in your blemish story. He transferred his perfection uh, to your mess. 
and he changed that. So in the Father's eyes, when God the Father looks at us, what he sees is his perfection, his son's perfection, Jesus's perfect life. This is the, the great exchange. We call this process, uh, this verse, we would call this sanctification. That in God's eyes, we are sanctified. We are made holy. But yet, as Martin Luther says, um, at the same time, we are righteous like Jesus, but we are also a sinner. So there's another side of the story. So at the beginning of that verse, Hebrews 10, 14 says, He has perfected for all time. Those, so that's us, we are perfected in the Father's eyes. There is nothing that will keep us from heaven when we trust in Jesus Christ. It says he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. And that's the other side. That's the sinner side, right? Like uh, there's a side that's righteous of us. Uh, God has painted a new picture for us. We are righteous just like Christ is. Uh, but on the other side, there is a sinner side of us that is being made holy. There's the process of sanctification. So first we have the promise of sanctification of being perfected and second or being perfect and secondly we have the process of being made holy. And God is committed to this process. And this is what we oftentimes miss in the brochure. We just want the smooth sailing but we don't want the process and yet God is doing something great. Psalm 23:2 says it this way that God restores my soul. God is in the business of restoring everything about you, redeeming every part of your story that is broken. That is just who our God is. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. As I was sort of mulling over the idea of uh, what it was like to be restored, redeemed, renewed, uh, and sanctified by God, part of this process of sanctification, uh, the picture that came to my mind was uh, a painting that is being restored uh, to its original design. Um, in, in 2005, there was a, a painting that was discovered in, in Louisiana in an estate sale, and, and the painting uh, had all these different features on it. It was actually a painting of Jesus, and uh, it's called the, the Salvador Mundi painting. I believe I pronounced that right, but, but I'm not an art professional, so I may have mispronounced that. Uh, but this painting was a copy of the, the Salvador Moody and, and Mundi, sorry. And see, I knew I'd mispronounce it. And uh, this painting was purchased for just a few thousand dollars from an estate sale in Louisiana. And uh, the person that bought it found a famous restorer of fine paintings in New York City and dropped it off and said, hey, can you just restore this painting? You know, I'd like to hang it, whatever, in my foyer, wherever you hang expensive paint. I've never bought a $1,000 painting. So, uh, but they go ahead and they drop it off in New York City. And for the next five years, day in and day out, this group of people, in particular one person, was doing the process of restoring this painting to something brand new. You see, over the years, uh, people had taken this painting and they had uh, tried to fix it. They had actually, there were actually rips in the painting. And uh, they even at one point, somebody decided Jesus needed to be more manly. So they actually gave him a red beard so that he would look a little more tough and manly in the picture, which, you know, like Jesus is tough, right? Um, but this whole process started, and this was a five-year process. Folks, the process that we're in of sanctification is going to be a lifelong process until the point that you meet Jesus either in the air when he comes back or when you die and go to heaven, this process will not be done. God is relentless. What God finds at the bottom of us, 
You know, like these paintings, you're taking layer after layer after layer off. Uh, different paintings can be restored really easily. Some of them, you just take a Q-tip and you rub the painting over and over again with just a light solution. Other ones, you gotta, you know, you've got to really work at it for months and months and months just to try to bring out the original colors in the paintings. But at the bottom of the painting, what God finds in us is number one, uh, our sin-filled soul that is in need of rescue. That, that's part of the story. But the other side that God finds at the bottom of us, when he takes off layer after layer after layer of us, is his fingerprints. We're fashioned in the image of God. The process of sanctification, what it does is it washes off the dirt and the grime and the layers of pain from us trying to fix ourselves and other people trying to fix us. And what we find at the bottom is God's fingerprint. You see, we are just simply like that painting was, just a kind of a worthless copy of the original. There's not a whole lot about us that is lovable at all, if anything. In fact, the only thing in us that is worth anything is the fact that God put a label on us of beloved. The fact that God took time to fashion us. The only worth that we have at the bottom of our story is God himself and the worth that he puts in us. So let's go ahead and look at, yeah, fun and exciting, isn't it? Like you thought you were going to be built up, but we got to tear down to build up. So uh, just give it a minute. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at the story of uh, Peter throughout the, the Gospels. We're going to look at a couple of them. We're going to look at three of the Gospels. We're going to look at Mark, Luke, and then John at the end. Um, but let's go ahead and flip to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Uh, if I were taking notes, you can label 1, 2, 3, 4 down the left-hand column of your, you don't have a bulletin, but your notebook. Uh, down the left-hand side, just label 1, 2, 3, 4. Number one will be a simple call, a simple call. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. One, Mark 1, 16 through 18. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. In verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, it's interesting that the Gospel of Mark was actually uh, Peter speaking and somebody else recording or writing uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, however, uh, Peter leaves out a whole lot of details. You see, uh, Jesus didn't just walk by and say, follow me, but Jesus actually hopped in Peter's boat uh, and, and gives uh, a, a great speech. And, and then Peter catches all these fish and Peter kneels down. And here's the words that Peter uses uh, to, here's the words that Peter uses as Jesus uh, leads him to catch all these fish. Peter looks at himself and he says, I am a sinful man. When Peter comes to Jesus, his posture is prone. At the call of Jesus, when Jesus says, come follow me, Peter lays down with a repentant heart and says, I'm ready to go. Peter is off to a great start. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this principle. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter humbled himself, and now he is considered a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter's off to a great start. Sanctification starts 
this would be the note. Sanctification starts with our surrender. Peter comes to Jesus casting his nets down, but he comes uh, not casting his nets down. Sorry. Peter comes to Jesus by casting his nets down. He comes to Jesus like all of us, walking away from our old life and beginning to walk with Jesus. And the thing that we bring, and here's a note, the thing that we bring is our baggage. And God is not intimidated. You see, when Jesus said to you, and when Jesus said to me, follow me, and we respond to that call, Sure, we cast our nets down. We cast some of the sin that entangled us down. We cast our old life down. But the reality is we come to Jesus and we all have baggage. And God is not intimidated. That's why we're now in the process of sanctification. As we continue in Peter's story, um, number two, if you're taking notes, is our Heavenly Father uses the right cleaning solutions to restore us. Our Heavenly Father uses the right cleaning solutions to restore us. So uh, we're in this spot where, where Peter walks with Jesus for three years. Uh, Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, uh, comes to Peter and, and has this message for him. And it's contained in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. That's Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. So you can imagine, you know, uh, they have just shared the Last Supper together, and, and Jesus has this message for, uh, for Peter. Here's what he says in verse 31. So Luke 22, 31 through 34. So next book over. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny that you know me three times. Wow. How would you like Jesus coming to you and illuminating the fact that you're actually going to fail? I mean, Jesus sits down with Peter and, and, and Jesus begins to uh, unveil this message as Peter sort of shows his pride <clears throat> in saying, Jesus, I'm going to go both to prison and to death with you. Nobody's going to take you. I'm there with you. I'm never going to leave you. Look at how great my faith is, Jesus. I'm the one. I'm the leader of this group. And Jesus has a message for him that Satan has requested to sift Peter. Probably not the message you'd want to get from Jesus. Hey, Satan's going to go ahead and sift you, and, and he's going to uh, weed out um, and try to wreck your story. You see, God uses Satan as the refining agent to make us better oftentimes. Satan can only do what the Father gives him permission to do, and God always sets the parameters of Satan's influence in your life. But the reality is God knows exactly what needs to happen uh, to us to take the different layers off. Like I said about the, the imitation painting that we've been talking about this whole time, they had to use different solvents for different areas. They had to use different glues for different areas as they were repaired the rips that were down uh, one whole section of the painting. Uh, and, and every different part has a different way uh, that it needs to be refined. If you, if you really look up the restoration of this painting, uh, just there's several YouTube videos and different things about it, and they show the whole process, the whole five-year process of refining and making it right. 
But God knows exactly what Peter needed. And what Peter needed is actually uh, for Satan himself to expose the pride in Peter's heart. Peter's like, my faith is strong, Jesus. I've got this on my own. And what Peter didn't realize is that on his painting, just like the imitation painting, there's a big red beard painted over the face of Jesus. There's a big red beard on Peter that needed to be removed. You see, the only person that knows every single layer of you that needs to be taken off, needs to be refined, needs the uh, colors to be brightened, is Jesus. You and I often are blind to those things that God wants to work in our hearts on. It is as if Jesus is the curator and noticed that the painting had the red beard and that Peter's pride needed to go. Peter's pride needed to go out the window. He didn't have it all figured out. Jesus knew the problem in Peter. Number three, Jesus doesn't look away when we fail. Number three, Jesus doesn't look away when we fail. So we'll stay in Luke chapter 22, and we'll just go to verse 54 through 62. Then they seized him, that's Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else came to him and said, You also are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying that the Lord, uh, and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Did you pick up on that? It says in, uh, in verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Jesus has prophesied uh, for Peter just a few hours earlier, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it actually takes place, and Jesus is in the courtyard, and he peers back at Peter. You ever wonder what kind of look that was? Was it angry? Was it annoyed? Was it frustrated? Was it an I told you so look? You may have used those with your kids before or your spouse, right? Or wasn't it, it, was it one of those looks that's like, after all I've done for you? I don't think Jesus' look was one of judgment or correction at Peter. If you think back to Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, Jesus is dealing with the rich young ruler. Now Jesus would come to this man. He would invite him to essentially be uh, another disciple of his. And uh, the young man, Jesus, knowing his heart that he would turn away uh, from him and refuse to follow him, Scripture says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus had love in his eyes even with somebody that would turn away and, and, and walk away from a relationship with him. I think it was a look that screamed, I know what you're going through, and I got this. If I'm going to say what, what this look was when Jesus peers back at Peter, it was probably a look that says, I know, that I, know I got this. Peter, your pride is the reason for the cross, and I will face it in a few hours, and I will set you free from that burden. Scripture uh, also shares in verse 62 Peter's response. It says, he went out and wept bitterly. 
Peter mistranslated this look from Jesus. Peter's response is that Jesus should be giving him shame. He should be heaping guilt on him. He should be angrily correcting him. And it's just not what Jesus does. Jesus says nothing but a glance over. When you let, down, when you let God down and blow it, our response should not be running away but running to the cross. Because God is not looking at us in judgment. God looks at us, and if you remember uh, when we talked about sanctification, the reality is God looks at you and he sees the perfect life of Jesus. And so when we mess up, when we make those mistakes, we run to the cross. And the thing that we find is not God angrily condemning our lack of faith or our mess ups. What we find is a God that picks you up and says, I got this. The cross dealt with this. You're forgiven. We repent and we move on. When we place our failures in God's hands, he can use them. He can use them. God is committed to us. He doesn't look away when we fail. Number four, uh, Jesus picks up the pieces. If you're uh, taking notes, number four is that Jesus picks up the pieces. John chapter 21 is where we'll be. So Jesus at this point, then, he goes to the cross, right? This is the, the, the morning when Jesus is going to begin to walk towards the cross. Jesus dies. He resurrects. He reveals himself to the disciples. And in one scene, he's sitting on a beach, and Peter sees him. Peter's decided what he's going to do is he's going to go out fishing with the boys, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is on the beach, and he calls to them. Peter sees that it's Jesus, and Peter wraps a cloak around himself and jumps in the water and, and swims right to Jesus' side. Has your child ever done something wrong, or maybe it's your spouse, and they, they, they maybe got it corrected in trouble, and they're just not really sure how to, uh, how to handle the awkwardness, like how to navigate that? Like, I have kind of let you down, mom and dad, or, or to your spouse, I've made a mistake. I don't, you know, I don't really know how to, how to handle this situation. Uh, that awkwardness is probably what Peter's feeling at this point. But what he knows is that he can run to Jesus. And John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19, gives us the rest of the scene. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, I know that you love me. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love, him, that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death that he was to, to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Pete if he loves him as much as Jesus loves Peter. Let me... Let me say that again. Jesus asks if Peter loves him like he loves Peter. Peter has just experienced the grace of God. 
Jesus is restoring Peter and he's saying, do you love me as much as I love you, Pete? Do you really get the message that my grace will never fail, that my love is steadfast and always for you, Peter? Do you get that? Do you love me the same way? And Peter's response is that he finally gets the message. I will never love you, Jesus, as much as you love me. But I'm in the boat with you. I'm with you, Jesus. I just don't ever have the capability of loving you as much as you love me. In our family, we sort of have this, uh, this funny phrase that we use oftentimes. And uh, Molly and I always use it together. And then we also use it with our kids. Um, and and it, we use it so much that Molly uh, actually made this sign for in our, I think you can see it, yeah, made this sign for in our, our bedroom. It says, love you more. Uh, whenever Molly, uh, whenever I'm going somewhere and Molly says, goodbye, I love you. I always say, I love you more. And, and we, we do this with our kids, too. I, I can remember several times where I've said, I love you more. And our kids will say, no, I love you more. And, I, and I'll have to explain to them, you have no ability to love me more than I love you. And, and that's exactly what this conversation with Peter is pointing out to Pete. It's saying, do you get it that you can't love me as much as I love you? You'll never get there. But that doesn't mean walk away. That doesn't mean shamefully walk away uh, like you did back in, uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter uh, 22, verse 62, where he went away and wept bitterly. That, that's no more, Peter. You don't need to do that. Jesus restores Peter three times. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds, and it covers up. It's showing the message also that it covers up the three times that he denied him. And then Jesus ends the whole thing in, Luke, in John 21, 19 by saying two words. He says, follow me. It'd be incredible to know uh, and, and expect this big long book of how we are to follow God, right? Like there, there's so much meat in that idea of these two words that say, follow me. But that's Jesus' plan for you and for I. That's the plan for sanctification, is two words, follow me. That's all God wants from you, is for you to follow him. Now, now follow him like Peter followed him, right? He cast his nets down and he walked forward and he followed him. That's definitely part of it. But Jesus is just saying, just walk with me. Look for my footsteps everywhere. Look for my fingerprints everywhere and follow me. The painting that was purchased for a few thousand dollars at the beginning of the story ended up being sold five years after it was purchased, ended up being sold for $450,312,500. You see, this five-year process, what it revealed when the layers were taken away, when everything was prepared was that, yeah, a lot of artists had taken time to try to fix the painting over the years, and they just marred and ruined it. But when the original artist was seen in the painting, the painting was found out to be the actual Salvador Mundi painting. And by the consistent work of very skilled people, of a real curator taking care of these things, this painting over and over, year after year, 
all the original colors came out and the fingerprints of the original painter were seen. Uh, and actually the, the, the key piece in the painting uh, and, and one of the signature things uh, that tells us that it was a, a da Vinci painting uh, was the mouth. So the, the artist takes off all the layers and, and she looks at it and she says, wait, I've seen that mouth before. And she goes and she takes a picture um, of, of a whole different painting, uh, the Mona Lisa that, that uh, uh, da Vinci had painted. And she held it up next to the mouth of Jesus and it looked exactly the same. And it was priceless. Unlike the painting that was purchased for a few thousand dollars and restored, the Father purchased you with a price that can't be counted. The Father spent His Son to buy you and me back, that He might restore us to the original design. And when I say original design, I don't mean the original design of, of, of who you are now. Um, I mean the original design without the fall. Jesus is going to take your life and refine you. Although you hold no real material value to God, God valued you so much that he saw you in your sin and he sent his son Jesus and he went to a cross to buy you back. Jesus didn't spend a couple thousand dollars on you and then restore you. Jesus spent his son and he gave you a new life through that son. And here's how we begin the journey with God. It's the same way that Peter did. Peter looked at Jesus and he said, I am a sinner. See, if somebody was asking me, how do I start a relationship with God? Uh, I would give them two verses. Number one, uh, Mark chapter one, or I'm sorry, John chapter one, verse 12. It says that the way that we come to faith in God is by believing and receiving the gospel. That we believe that Jesus came, he was sent by God, he came, uh, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross, uh, he rose again to new life, and he offers us forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting. We believe that message with everything that we've got, and then we receive that, we walk in that truth. And number two, I'd point somebody to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, repent and believe. Je these are words of Jesus. He says, repent, that means that we're going one way, and we consciously make a decision to turn back to God, that our life was going away from God's plan for us, and so we turn back to God. We repent, and then we believe in the gospel. See, maybe you're here and you've complicated the call. We're classic at doing that. The call to follow Jesus is the call to follow Jesus. Follow me. Maybe it's that you're not trusting the solutions that God is using in your life. The pressures that God puts on you right now may not seem fair, may not seem right as you're being sifted and God is changing you. Trust the Lord. He knows what's underneath. He knows what needs to come off of your life to make you more like Christ. Maybe you're dealing with guilt. Maybe you're dealing with shame. That has been dealt with at the cross. We cast that on Jesus when we follow him. He bore our guilt. He bore our shame. Scripture even says that Jesus despised the shame that you and I deserved when he went to the cross. He doesn't look away when we fail. Run to him. Jesus will pick up the pieces. He will make you new. He will remind you of the call that is so simple, yet so life-transforming. Follow him. God bless.